Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. All right, guys, how are you doing this morning? Y'all got to be y'all got to be a little louder than that because I am tired as well. It has been a busy week. It has been a crazy week. And so you got to talk back to me because I got a lot of notes and a lot to get through. All right. I don't want to go long like Pastor Chris does. So you got to talk back to me. I'm so glad y'all we had bloopers. And I think it was because we were running out of time that he wasn't able to include them, thankfully, because I was I was a little on edge yesterday when we were making these announcements. And I don't even know why. I think I was just tired. It's been long, like I said, a long week. And so he kept clapping because you do this whole thing when you're recording announcements. If you ever want to do announcements with us, let me know. We'd love to welcome you in. And I will clap. I won't let Chris clap because for some reason it makes this nervous, like really loud bang. And it was right in my ear. And I just finally just looked at him since you didn't include it. I'll just out myself since it makes me look totally horrible of of a person. He kept clapping because I'd mess up something and he like clapped to start over. And I'm like, can you just stop? Like, you're really annoying me right now. Can I just clap? And so, yeah, that's me. That was, that's my little confession, I guess, of how rude I was in the moment because I was like, it's hurting my ear. And normally that's him that would say something like that. Anyways, totally off of the, uh, the message. Oh, thanks, John. Applause. <laughs> totally off topic. That one was free, just me outing myself. But anyways, last week, Pastor Chris started us on this new series called The Pharisee and Me. How many of you were able to either be here and see that or uh, hear it or were online tuning in and really were blessed by what you heard? I was, it's always, there's always messages that really just challenge you. And that's okay to be challenged. And one of the quotes that he said last week, that it's literally been a quote that I hold on to throughout a lot of the last probably five years of my own journey, is the same truth that has the most potential to set you free also has the most potential to offend you. So I was thinking about that, and I'm like, what is that thing that has the most, in my own life, that has the most potential to set me free, but man, when it's used against me, I get quite mad. It's the statement that, it's the statement, let me say say it right, focus on you. The biggest statement that will definitely bring healing and freedom and growth and wisdom when you receive it, because it really does have the biggest potential to set us free. But when someone uses it in a moment where I don't want to hear it, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I don't need to just focus on me. I want to control all of the situation. I want to control this person and that person and the outcome of this and the outcome of that. It has the most potential to set me free, but man, has it offended me in moments because I know that to be able to focus on me means I got to turn that mirror around and literally focus on me. So he shared with us about the Pharisees were religious influencers who were highly respected. They were very highly respected people, okay, by the common person, except, or sorry, experts in the Jewish law, and they fostered the synagogues as a place of study, worship, and prayer. They weren't just nobodies, guys. They weren't. They were, they were highly respected influence, influencers. And that word Pharisee there, when you look the meaning of it up, it's to be separated, to be set apart, to be separated. That's what it is. That's what a Pharisee is. But the problem 
was that the Pharisees set out with the right intentions. They had the right intentions in their heart, but ended up becoming so focused on the do nots, the things you can't do. They became so hyper-focused on these things. Have you ever been there in your life where, where you set out to do something, and it's really out of the goodness of your heart that you're doing it, but, man, the moment somebody does that, you're like, oh, you ain't supposed to do that. You can't do that. You have no right. You can't say that. I've been there. I'm just being real. I've been there. They would, fo- they would focus on keeping the oral traditions so that the Jewish people wouldn't be led astray by their own ignorance. That's kind of self-righteous, I would say. And anyone who threatened their ability to do this, anyone who challenged them in doing this, they would strongly oppose, like Jesus. They couldn't understand, why are you going against the laws? Why are you breaking the rules that have been set out for us to follow? They're very laid out. They're, you know, they're here. Just do what you're supposed to do. And so they oppose Jesus. So that's where we're going to, we're going to look at that today in Luke 6, verses 1 through 11. It says, and I'm going to break this up a little bit as we go. It says, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husk in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, haven't you read in scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. He was a giver. Verse 5, and Jesus added, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Picking up in verse 6, it says, on another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. Sorry, my throat got dry. <clears throat> the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Have you ever sat around and waited for someone to do something wrong? Like, oh, I know you're going to, like, all right, our kids, for example, don't do that. I'm going to sit here and watch. How long are they not going to do it? How long will they go before they touch that lollipop or eat that sandwich I said, or whatever, cinnamon roll I said not eat because they're not going to obviously go for the sandwich. Why are they? They're going to eat that cinnamon roll. I'm going to watch them so closely. And then it picks up. It says, if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Verse 8, but Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew. He knew what they were thinking. He knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the deformed hand, Come. And stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? I want to pause right there. Is this a day to save life or destroy it? That right there is Jesus boldly calling out. He is boldly calling out what is opposite of his father's heart. They thought they knew because they started out with good intention. They thought they knew God's heart. They thought they were doing what is right. And Jesus is boldly saying, he's like, come on up here. Come up here and stand right here. I want all of you to see what's about to happen. And he's calling them out because it's opposite of his father's heart. You see, he wasn't calling them out for loving too much, right? We see that nowadays. Oh, you can't love too much. 
Too much love and grace is going to cause someone to go off and do whatever they want. Don't love them. That's what the church does today. That is. You see people come through church doors, and you see, I've heard stories after stories. I've experienced this myself, where you literally feel the judgment for loving someone like God would love them. That's not what Jesus is doing. He isn't calling them out for that. He was calling them out for their evil behaviors that they called godly. They believed them to be godly because this was what they believed about God. They truly did believe this. And I I so know that this is so relevant for so many people today because we believe something about God that is opposite of the character that Jesus has revealed to us through scriptures and we claim it to be godly and we condemn people we persecute them we write them off we say whatever I'm not have nothing to do with you because I don't understand how you can love this person like that because of x y and z and Jesus is saying no No, I want them to have this thing in their mind that's called metanoia. I want you to change your mind. I want to change the way that you see God because what they saw about God is not the Father's heart. And they treated others that that way of being judgmental because that's what they thought was right. They thought that was right. Let's pick up in verse 10 says, he looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold your hand out. So the man held his hand out and it was restored. It was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. I love that scripture. I love it because that is like the biggest boss move ever. Jesus is like, come up. And then instantly this man's, he, this man's hands restored. Like right in, it's like a slap in the face, you know, but in such a loving way. He didn't even have to physically do anything. He's like, the power of God's going to move and like, what do you have to say, you know? <laughs> this movement of people called the Pharisees were worried more about the laws than about helping someone in need. They were more worried about the laws. And let's be honest, all of us have probably at some point been there where I'm more worried about the, what I got to do than the person that may be interrupting my schedule. Let's be real. <clears throat> Let me see here. I'm getting lost. I believe that this very thing, like I said, is something that's happening all around us. It may not relate to the Sabbath. Like, we're not breaking laws about not resting on the Sabbath, I guess, per se. But it's in all these other areas of our life where we're so focused on the, t- the things that we are not to do that it, it triumphs over in our mind. So let's unpack real quick why the Pharisees responded with such anger surrounding the Sabbath. And in order to do that, we we have to go back to the very beginning because the very beginning is what tells us about why we are supposed to, why they were supposed to Sabbath, why they were supposed to honor those laws. All right, and Genesis 2, nope, I'm ahead of myself again. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the livestock. All the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings. In his image, he created, all right, sorry. 
in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So on the sixth day, God created man, right? All right, keep up. Genesis 2, 1 through 2. So the creation of, of the heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. Okay, so man, man's first day on earth was rest, right? We were created on the sixth day. Man was created. And our very first day, the seventh day, was created to rest, all right? God did all the work, and humanity got to receive the blessing of it. Our first day was to rest. Like, that's all we had to do. Like, how good is God that he's like, I'm going to do all the work, y'all, and then the net, the, you're, you're formed, you're created, I've created humanity, and rest in it. Just rest in it. I think that's just amazing. The word rest here is sabbat, meaning to desist from labor, rest with God. To stop all of your labor, to rest with God. How many of us need that very thing right now in our own lives? We just need to literally stop working and sit and rest with God. We're often just so busy, though. And when we get busy, what is, I'm going to tell you what my rest looks like. My rest often, a lot of times, does not look like, oh, let me just stop all the labor and let me just sit and be present with the Lord. Speak to me, God. You want to know why sometimes? Because I know that that speak to me, God, means there's going to be some work that has to be done. There's going to be some speaking, and there's going to be some action on my part. And so, no, my rest sometimes looks like I'm going to go home, <clears throat> I'm going to disconnect, and I'm going to disconnect by watching something that is completely mindless and that does no good for me, really, that just totally absorbs in my brain so I don't have to think about nothing. That's my rest. That's not bad. Don't hear what I'm not saying. That's great at times, but sometimes we need the rest, the Sabbath rest that is literally with the Lord, sitting with him in the presence, because he's never leaving us nor forsaking us. He's with us at all times, but we have to be aware of his presence to be able to hear and, and be with him in that way. So let's jump to Exodus 23, 10 through 11. It says, plant and harvest your crops for six years, but let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and olive groves. You see, we see this instruction here, but there is so much symbolism here that we must not miss. This is the part that gets me, like, so excited. Because, you see, the land was to rest every seven years, right? As well as the vineyards. What is produced in vineyards is wine, right? And wine is symbolic to the blood of Jesus, okay? And then in the olive groves, which were to rust, right? In seven years, the olive groves were to rust. And these produce oil, which is symbolic to the anointing favor from God, okay? Now, olive trees also grow in this grove, and the, the symbolic thing with an olive tree is the meaning of it is a friendship, reconciliation, cleansing and healing, light, 
victory and richness, and above all is it's a sign of peace. It's a sign of peace. You see, the land points us to the promise to come, which is Jesus, okay? The land is to rest every seven years. This land is pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is intertwined in all of the symbolism throughout these scriptures. You see, the Pharisees were born out of hardship from captivity to honor and be the standard barriers to keeping God's law. Okay, and the laws that Israel, uh, the the laws that would keep Israel from going back into captivity. But when I read through all of these scriptures, it kind of makes me think and want to ask this question, kind of in sarcasm, of how's that going? Because when you read all of the scriptures, you see they continually go back to captivity. They continue to get back into bondage. So what is going on? You're the law, you're the law keepers. You're the ones who are supposed to help keep us from going back into bondage. And here we are, even when Jesus comes, still under oppression by the Romans. Okay? So what is the point of letting the land rest? That's what I want to unpack for a few moments. It says, or the failure to let the land rest was a vehicle to communicate judgment. It was actually an allegory, y'all. If you don't know what an allegory is, it's a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, okay? It's something that is there to help show us a bigger picture of something. And not letting the land rest equates to not trusting God, okay? This was how they survived. This is how they made money. This is how they flourished. This is how they, what they did for work so they didn't have to sit at home and watch Netflix all day. This is what they did to see, uh, what is the word, Pro- the, the prosperity for themselves, to, to pay for things for their families, to do everything. And so when they didn't land, let the land rest, this was directly related to them not trusting God. When, when we go back through Israel's history, it's not like they were hitting. They were hitting it out of the park on all the other commands of God. Okay? It's not like they were doing everything else perfect, and all of a sudden God being petty decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to lay down some rule now to keep you all of a sudden to follow this one thing about the Sabbath. That's not at all what was happening. It was their pride. It was their pride and their trust in themselves and their own ability, and their lack of trusting God and God's ability. That's what landed them in this place, that they were not able to lay their pride aside, to lay their, th- their ability to do what they believed they could do better. Clearly, we all are there at some point, right? I got this better, God. I know you said do it that way, but this way is way easier. Why would we let the land rest for, on the seventh year, God, when we can really have a huge harvest? Why? It doesn't make sense. So the Pharisees say, I can, I will, I must, and I do. I do that all the time. I can do that, God. I got this. I got it. I will do that. But often it's in my own ability, not trusting in his ability. But God's heart has always, always been for us to be at a spot where we are just being. He wanted us to be humans. Just be. That is trust. And that is rest. 
that often is very hard to enter into at times. You see, the Israel story was we can do it. In Exodus 24, verse 3, says, Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered in one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Yes, God, I can do it all. Yes, you know, when we get, you first get, you first like receive Jesus and you first experience that that moment of love that feels like nothing else and you're like, oh, I can conquer the world. Let's go. All of a sudden you're saving money up to go on mission trips and to do all these things. That's what, that's what they were doing. I will do everything that the Lord has commanded. All right, verse, uh, Exodus 24, verse 7 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Every Pharisee, like I said, intentions started out good. Every one of them started out good. They would say something very similar to some of the things we've probably said. I want to please the Lord, right? We all want to please the Lord. I want to do what's right. They wanted to do what's right. I will do these things, God, just like we would do those things, God. So now hear me. This does not mean that we should not live right, that we should not make the right choices, that we should not do what is right to be done. That's not what I'm saying. But instead, we need to know what side of love we are doing those things from. What side of love are we doing it? Are we doing it to gain the love of God, to gain the love of people, to gain the love of our friends? Or are we doing it from a place of knowing that I am loved? I'm already his beloved. And because I am loved, I will go do. I will make the right choices. I will serve these people. I will do what needs to happen because I'm loved and I've got nothing but to give out, love out versus trying to gain that love. Have you ever realized that we are the beloved? Have you ever had that moment where it just dings in your head of like, I am the beloved of God? And man, I'm telling you, when you are at that spot, and sometimes it kind of dwindles away and you're kind of like, I don't know, God, do you really love me? We have those moments, okay, where you question, I get it. Don't, Don't think that you can't ever question that because at times you may based on what happens in your life. But when you have that revelation of I am his beloved, man, the passion to do what is good, what is right, what is honoring, what is loving, is just it's just there naturally. And it's so, so good. All right, we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments. I talked about these last week in, in, in teen ministry, and it was really funny because we were all like, what are all of them? Or do we have to memorize them in order? Or do we need to know them in order? I'm like, no, just write them on the, write them on the chalkboard. I don't need them in order. Because at that point, I was like, I don't think I know them in order at this very moment. So I'm like Google searching really quick. Like, let me make sure I know them in order. I need to be reminded every week that when I get ice from back in the back, that I shouldn't get it. Because it's these little chunks, y'all. <clears throat> all right. Side note. All right, Exodus 20. We're going to go through 1 through 4, 7 through 8, and 13 through 17. It says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make your make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not misuse my name. 
the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished for the misuse of his name. Eight, remember to observe the Sabbath. Keep by Sabbath by day by keeping it holy. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long life, full of life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Thirteen, you must not murder. Fourteen, you must not commit adultery. <clears throat> You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, guys. So the reason I'm sharing this with you is because the Ten Commandments are broken into two sections here. The top four all point to loving God. The top four are all encompassing what it looks like to love God. And the bottom six are encompassing what it means to love your neighbor. You see, the original Ten Commandments, not all of the other laws and Jewish uh, rituals and things that they came up with, all of them were given to Israel to keep them connected to God and coming back to God, to trust in him, to see and receive his love. There was a purpose for them. To keep them in a place of trusting God and not themselves. Because obviously that's where humanity continues to go back to. We got this, God. We will do it. For us to love God, we must also trust God. And I know that is tough sometimes. I get it. It's not just like some cliche saying. It is literally you got to work at trusting the Lord in seasons of your life. It doesn't just happen like that. And sometimes it does for some people in some situations, but there are certain areas in my life where I can trust God real quickly. And there are some areas where I'm like, oh God, I got to trust you because it's out of my control. And I don't like when it's out of my control. (laughs) No longer fits in my little box of things that make sense. But even in, in those questionings, even in moments that I have doubt about trusting, I know without a shadow of a doubt, that God is love and his love never fails, that he will always love me and he will never leave me. And in those moments, it's okay. I feel okay in those moments. And every single sin struggle that we will ever have, every single thing that comes against us always comes back to a lack of love. Always. You see, it did for the Pharisees. It did for the Pharisees. We can't say that we love God If we aren't loving our neighbor, we can't say that we love our neighbor if we aren't loving ourselves. Ooh, that one's hard, right? Because it's way easy sometimes to just love everybody else and put ourselves to the side and not heal and not do the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves. You can't say you love your neighbor and not love yourself. You can't say that you love yourself. And think that we understand how to do that without loving God. Because it will always look different. It will always look different when we think we've got it all figured out and we have no idea about God's love and his love for us and our love for him. And this all, all comes back to trusting God. You see, the Pharisees is one, is one who lacks love in all three of these areas. They lack love in these areas. There's a difference between love 
and zeal because they had a passion to see these things followed through. They had a passion to make sure these people did all these rules and laws and uh, things that they were supposed to do. And we read from Paul in Galatians verse one, or yeah, chapter one, verse 13 and 14 says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far away uh, or far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. You see, he knew what it was to have zeal, and zeal led him to a place that did not show any love. Love to God, love for himself, or love for others. But then we catch Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, where he talks, he's talking um, about himself regarding love. It says uh, in verse, yeah, chapter 13, verse 1 through 7, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and, I, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Verse four says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul is saying to us, what does it matter if we can quote the Ten Commandments? What does it matter if I don't know them all in the exact order? What does it matter if I can quote Scripture to you quickly and quickly and just go and just go and go and throw all these things at you and make myself look like I know all kinds of stuff? What does it matter if I don't love? That's what he's saying. And when you're doing that, all it is is like a loud, noisy gong in your ear. You know what those things are, right? Or how about something just constantly banging in your ear? That is annoying. That doesn't lead you to a spot of being like, yes, Lord, I want you in my life. No, that turns people away and you run the opposite direction because it's like, I don't want to be a part of that type of God. If that's what I got to live with, if that's what I got to hear all the time, no. No, it's love. And when we come back to love, it changes everything. You see, this is the same question Jesus was asking the Pharisees back in Luke where we started from, is do you choose evil over good? Do you choose all these rules, all these laws over doing good? Are you going to say don't in order for this man, don't do and not heal this man's hand? That's what he's asking them. And you will find yourself back in the same spot that Israel found herself, trusting in our own ability if we don't lean on love. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. You see, this week we're focusing on loving God. That equals trusting God. Okay? Because we can easily get to a spot of trusting ourselves. It's just easy. We just know how to do it, and it's not healthy. But it's easy for us. 
But remember that these Pharisees we were talking about earlier, the Pharisee movement was born out of Babylon captivity, okay, because they didn't let the land rest. They didn't let the land Sabbath. They couldn't trust God to provide for them, so they provided for themselves. Jesus is highlighting the opposite for us, or he's uh, the opposite to us back in Luke, okay, where he stated, or where we started at today, Jesus is trying to help us see it was never about not doing something. It was never about not doing, but about trusting God. It was about trusting God, loving God, and resting in God. Okay, we think it's about what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to let the land rest. And Jesus is like, no, you're not getting it. It's all about trusting the Lord. It's all about that. With good intentions, the Pharisees take this, this, uh, these rules and these laws to such a literal place for themselves and for others that they co-sign, they co-sign harm instead of holiness. They are not going to let you eat. You don't need to eat today. I don't care how hungry you are. Don't pick from those fields. No, his hand doesn't need to be healed. Just hold off because today's not a day for doing that. They co-signed harm instead of holiness. In Mark's gospel account, I want to read here, he, uh, he includes something different. In Mark 2, 27 through 28, it says, <clears throat> Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. Hear that. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He's telling them, guys, this was never meant to do all these rules and to make people have to follow X, Y, and Z to get to a spot of rest. He's like, this was made for your benefit. This was made for you to enjoy. And in the beginning, God made man, like we talked about, then came Sabbath. It was made for us. It was made for us. We as followers of Christ, though, as uh, followers of Christ, are not required as new believers in the New Testament, we're not required to follow all of these, these uh, Ten Commandments, all of the laws that were given to Israel by God exactly. They were given to a specific people group for a very specific reason. As we can see, they weren't trusting the Lord. And so there was rules laid out for them to trust, to love God, and to love their neighbors as themselves. There was those things that were laid out. Yet we can find wisdom in all of the laws, all of the Ten Commandments. We can find wisdom and it is a, and the Sabbath is really is, it's pure gold to think of like having a day of rest. We are not obligated and required to follow that, but man, are we invited to do it. We don't have to, but we're invited into that day of rest. We're invited into trusting the Lord, to staying in a spot of loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're invited into that. You see, and let's see, where am I at? First Oh, actually, I'm going to have the worship team get ready to come. We're about to go into a time where we're going to actually, as a church, uh, partake of communion together. And there is um, there's no uh, rule around it. It's open communion. If you've accepted Jesus, then you are able to partake of communion. But <clears throat> we're invited into the Sabbath with Christ. You see, Jesus came and revealed God's love to all of humanity. And he loved humanity to, the de to his death on the cross. Jesus died 
because he loved us so much, to reveal his love. And we have the ability in the freedom to trust and rest in that and in his promises. You see, our rest is found in the finished work of Jesus. That's where our rest is found, the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation that that we have, the wholeness that we have is through his body. In 1 Corinthians, I didn't give this verse to you, um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, it says, For I, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was portrayed, the Lord portrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the new covenant between God and his, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you think of it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So during this worship song, guys, I ask you, you can come up on each side here. We have communion cups with the wafers on the top. You can come grab one when you're ready. And then I'm going to come up and we're going to take communion together. Would you go ahead and stand? When you're ready, you can make your way up to the speakers right here where the communion comes around. So I run to the Father again. 
God, I thank you that we get to take this moment to remember your love for us through taking communion together. So guys, go ahead and take this bread. It is a reminder of the body that was given to us and for us. And we take this in remembrance of Christ. This cup is a reminder of the new covenant between us and God. And we drink this in remembrance of Christ. every person here right now in the house and watching online I speak a blessing over you in the name of Jesus that the rest of your day and this week coming up will be incredible Father we thank you, we love you in Jesus name everybody said Amen, Amen, we'll see you same time same place next week guys